I'm Mike Brown, author, nerd, and host of the Dark Patine podcast. Join me and Morgan Knudsen, author, paranormal researcher, and host of the TV shows Paranormal 911 and Haunted Hospitals, as we take you on a journey for the curious about the unseen, the mysterious, and the incredible things happening in the world about us. Welcome to Supernatural Circumstances. So here we are for another episode of Supernatural Circumstances, and oh my gosh, it's Mike and Morgan together at the beginning of the show. How did that happen? Isn't this nice? It is nice. It's something that we're going to do more of moving forward, and that's kind of why we're doing this as a bit of a teaser, because this, episode 37 of season one, is the last one for the season. Can you believe we're on 37? I can't. It's 37. <laughs> it's, just blown, it's just blown right by, like, holy smokes, how did that happen? But uh, it, anyway, so um, we're going to be back in April, and it's going to be on April the 24th, I do believe. It is the 24th, and I, I have to tell you, I am so excited about all the new plans that we have. And I think everybody else that's listening is going to be excited as well because we're starting a brand new version of Supernatural Circumstances that really digs into some of these incredible cases by asking the question, how did this happen? Yeah. And could this happen to me? Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is a taboo question, I think, that keeps everybody's nightlight on. Yeah, right? Uh, so we're going to have some new music for the show. So we'll have a little we bit are. of new music. And we'll have a bit more interaction between Morgan and I. So we're going to warm this thing up a little bit. I'm excited. I, and hopefully people will put up with us. I mean, I think they will. I'm pretty sure they will. <laughs> we're inviting them to anyway anyway on with the show i'm really looking forward to this one we're talking to brennan store yeah and his incredible escapades in revelstoke bc which is very uh, i i think just untalked about if yeah. that's a word you know yeah according to brennan and his book a strange little place there's a lot that happens there in revelstoke so we're going to hear about that. Yeah. And the high strangeness of s these Canadian small towns that we've all driven through. Yeah. And yet we, you don't stop. Like we don't stop and think about the, the level of weirdness. Like we associate them with maybe a haunting or, or something like that, but it gets so much weirder. Yeah. There's a lot of weird stuff going on in Revelstoke folks. So, uh, other than just Brennan being from there. So <laughs> anyway, on with the show. First, Morgan. Tell us the story, Morgan. I used to live in British Columbia, and as most of you know, Mike still does. For those who haven't been, it's a picturesque province of mountains, rivers, forests, and beautiful scenery, which has been the star of films from Deadpool to TV shows such as X-Files. Canada has some incredible features that many other countries struggle to live up to, and it's why so many people flock here on such a regular basis. Whether it be for the picture-perfect landscapes or the wild getaways of the prairies, Canada has something to offer everyone. What many don't see, or simply drive through, are its small towns. The name Canada comes from the huron Iroquois word Kanada, meaning village or settlement. In 1535, two Aboriginal youths told French explorer Jacques Cartier about the route to Kanata, 
They were actually referring to the village of Stadacona, the site of the present-day city of Quebec. However, it's stuck and Canada has maintained to a large extent that small-town feel in even its larger cities. Except there is another far more secret side to our small towns, one that many locals won't even discuss. And in a little town called Revelstoke in British Columbia, that is indeed the case, according to author Brennan Storr. Revelstoke, known for its ski resorts and 7,500 foot sheer drop, is made up of so many different kinds of high strangeness, ghosts, UFO sightings, Sasquatch, missing time, and gremlins, to name a few, that it raises serious questions about exactly how separate all those phenomena truly are, and how such a trove of secrets can be kept for so long. It has minimal public transit, and is two and a half hours away to the nearest airport, so if you decide to go investigating after this show, uh, be prepared. One of the most famous is Rogers Pass, some 40 miles east of Revelstoke on Highway 1, the Trans-Canada Highway. It's one of the most enticing and active paranormal hotspots in the region. As Brennan describes in his article for Llewellyn.com, Sasquatch sightings have been reported for decades along this stretch of road, as has at least one instance of missing time where a commuter was so shaken by his losing two hours and nearly 100 miles of road, not to mention the dreams that followed, that he never drove the road alone again. The most incredible occurrence may well be the Rogers Pass Fireball, a celestial event witnessed by a group of railway workers on that frigid night in January 1997, those men had their perceptions of the world around them challenged by something that lit an entire 10-mile-long mountain valley up like daylight, and at least, according to one man, seemed to be looking at them. Brennan also makes mention of the Arrow Lakes, stating, lest you think the region's unusual characteristics are solely a result of this flooding, UFO accounts from the area date back to before the area became a reservoir. In the 1950s, a number of people reported a silver disc flying low above their homes. Since the flooding, visitors to the area have seen both a lake monster and a mysterious lights above the surface of the water, as well as heard spectral music drifting out from the darkness. Many of these areas are traversed daily by commuters and travelers seeking destinations elsewhere, but not all pass through without a tale or two to tell, if they come back at all. As Brennan states, in the 1970s, the sighting of a shadowy football field-sized object trailing blue fire only 100 feet above the ground may or may not have precipitated the death of three witnesses all of whom were in good health and yet died within months of each other. Even the courthouse square in the downtown district is not beyond stories of paranormal happenings, usually a place of conservative lawmaking and employees, as well as private residences. This little spot carries its own stories. Cleaning crews in the courthouse have heard the sounds of chains downstairs, where prisoners were once marshaled for trial, and the sound of men and women talking is regularly heard both in the stairwells and near the drinking fountain. 
Even the outside is not without its apparent hauntings. One nearby house has allegedly been home to a shadow entity the inhabitants have called the Black Man for more than 70 years. Another house hosts the mute specter of a girl who appears to passers-by at the same time as a mysterious hum, Brennan states. And just a stone's throw away are two of Revelstoke's most haunted homes, Holton House, now Mustang Bed and Breakfast, and the old hospital. How is it these bizarre locations in such a small place go unnoticed for so long? Is it just a proudly kept secret? Or is it a dark history no one wants to own? There's plenty to wonder about the town itself, and it's definitely no stranger to murder and mayhem. In the 1800s, Revelstoke was home to a man known as the Hanging Judge and the Wild West. That's what they called Matthew Begbie and the communities that he served. He looked the part, too, an imposing man at six foot five with white hair and a black mustache who wore his judge's robes wherever he held court. But only 27 of the 52 murder cases he heard in the history of the colony ended in hangings, and hanging was the punishment required by law for the crime of murder at that time. So if the verdict was guilty, the judge just didn't have a choice. Therefore, many people lost their lives to the bang of the gavel. It has since been no stranger to murder and missing young people who have never been recovered along many BC highways. If you're planning on visiting Revelstoke or simply love small town high strangeness, well, you're in the right place today. Join us as we talk to Brennan Storr of the Ghost Story Guys and we swing down the bizarre rabbit hole of this Canadian paranormal mystery. Today is exciting because the area of the paranormal that we're delving into is, I think, a little bit lesser known and probably a town that is lesser known to the majority of the public, uh, unless you're from Canada. That's right. We uh, know about it. We know about it. And BC people know about it. Um, But Brennan, you picked a really interesting area of the world. And before we get to that... Uh, thank you for being here and congratulations on your book. Oh, uh, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I, I've been looking forward to this. Oh yeah, we have too. Um, and going, like, just going through your book was so, it was so interesting, but you have done quite a lot over the years, specifically with, uh, your ghost stories guys podcast and, uh, with Paul Bestall, who's been on the show as well. Uh, so how did, how, how did this start for you? So my interest in the paranormal really kind of started when I lived in, I, I guess you'd say a haunted building. I, I lived, my first apartment was, was haunted and it, mm-hmm. which is the chapter in the book called Bocce's. And there's some things happened, which were unusual, um, which, you know, we, we can get into later if you like. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd always been, honestly, I mean, I, I grew up Catholic. It didn't take, I didn't like it. So I kind of was one of those, you know. The world is only what I can see in front of me, man, kind of atheist types. Um, but I had some experiences and I thought, well, that's weird. And then I would tell those stories at parties or whatever when you had a couple drinks in you. And then finally, I was I was telling a friend of mine when I was in Victoria, which is where I moved uh, in 2007, I was telling a friend of mine some of these stories. And then I was I was relating a couple other stories I'd heard from around Revelstoke. And I and it occurred to me, I thought, I wonder if this is a book. You know, I, I'd, I'd yeah. always wanted to write uh, and I'd, I'd done some blogging, you know, I'd done some coverage for campus radio stations, but I'd never, never committed to anything of that length. And so eventually, 
you know, I started, I started trying to write what would ultimately become Strange Little Place. And it was as I started writing it after my first research trip back to Revelstoke that I had really, I think one of my, still one of my most dramatic personal encounters with the paranormal. And after that, I, I couldn't, I couldn't deny it anymore. I mean, I, I saw what I saw. And so I, I had to dramatically adjust my worldview in order to make room for that. And that sort of got me going. Uh, from there, you know, I met uh, in 2017, or sorry, in December 2016, I met Ian Gibbs, who was uh, the author of the upcoming Victoria's Most Haunted. And we started a podcast. And that's that was the ghost story, guys. And things just kind of took off from there. I was going to ask you, uh, I'm, I've been listening to your book and I'm really curious about how, how uh, an atheist reconciles the, the, the paranormal. It's, it's really fascinating that you've called yourself an atheist, yet um, you believe in or have had these experiences. What, what, what does that look like? You, you say you had to adjust your worldview. Is that part of it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I am cognitive dissonance made flesh. Believe me, I... I listen to a lot of atheist podcasts, uh, you know, usually the fun ones. Uh, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was difficult because I, I, I was collecting these stories and, and I had a couple odd little things happen, you know, strange feelings, little coincidences, but I, I just didn't think much of it. And then when that, when I saw what I saw, it really shook me. It really mm. shook me. So what did you see? So what happened was at the time I was working as the office manager for a small consulting company. And I had just come back. I'd used my vacation time to do this research. And I had uh, just come back from Revelstoke and I was telling our receptionist at the time about some of the stories. Now, the consulting company I worked for, everyone mostly telecommuted. So we had this enormous office. It was just me and the receptionist. Everyone else usually called in from wherever they were, wherever they were working. On this particular day, it was just us there. It was a, a beautiful April day. And as we were telling each other these stories, I noticed in the office just behind the receptionist to my right, which was uh, one of our uh, GIS guys offices, there was a coat rack standing there. And as we're talking out of the corner of my eye, I see from behind this coat rack, what can only be described as an all black head lean out stay there just long enough for me to clock that I'm seeing what I'm seeing and it is not a fluke and then slowly withdraw behind the coat rack. And I, I'll never forget the feeling. It was like the color started to drain from the day. And I kept listening to Almira to the receptionist and I kept thinking, nope, no, I did not see that. I didn't see that. Right. Didn't see that. But about two weeks later, I was at home and I always like to say my wife works my wife works grown-up jobs, so she has to go at actual office hours. So when I woke up, she was already off at work. But again, by this point, it was May, beautiful, beautiful sunny morning. She'd opened the blinds, so the sun was coming in. And I woke up, I rolled over, I looked at the clock on her side of the bed, and I think, I think it was maybe 8.30. And so I rolled back on my side, and that's when I realized I, I could see something out of the corner of my eye to my left. It was like there was someone standing there. Where they would have been standing, there's a there's a bedside table. You couldn't actually stand there. So I turned to look, and what I saw was a shadow in the shape of a man. And before I could react, it fell across me in the bed. Yes. 
Yeah, Oi wow. is. No, thank yeah. you. <laughs> Zero stars. <laughs> and Mike's done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's how I felt. And now when it touched me, I felt this electricity all throughout my body. And then I, I, I passed out and I woke up about half an hour later and I thought, well, that was, what the hell was that? That was weird. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was it. But that marked the beginning of the bleakest period of depression I had experienced since I was in high school. And it persisted for about two weeks until I provoked a, a, an argument with my wife, which I never do. I, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not a conflict oriented person. And after that fight, it was almost like something burst, you know, like a, like a, a boil bursting and it was gone. And that's how it started. And so I kind of had to process that and I had to make, again, make room for it. And I mean, to this day, I, I still don't believe in Christian God because I just, I just don't. I don't think there, the idea of a personal creator who cares whether or not I find my keys seems, you know, uh, unlikely, but I have to accept that I've had these experiences and I've talked to people who are otherwise credible and, and who I, you know, who I trust with my life. They've had these experiences and I've had other things happen as well. And I, I just have to accept that there's more out there than I understand and, and more out there than I initially had sort of given the world credit for. I don't know what it means. And I sort of, even though, you know, I have a show called The Ghost Story, guys. If you say, Bren, what do you think is a ghost? I mean, we're going to be here for half an hour because I don't necessarily believe the, you know, sort of tropey answers of, well, it's a spirit and and therefore. But, right. So, yeah. So yeah. I've had to just make room. And, and I mean, a year after that happened, I had what I call my accidental exorcism, which also really screwed with my worldview. And, uh, yeah, 2012, 2013 was a real formative time. That's a, it's amazing. And, you know, I've, I've got to give you so much credit because so many people would be in your position and have an experience like this and immediately go to, you know, that didn't happen. I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to bury it. And you, it, it takes a level of courage to sit down and really look at your own paradigms and do that self-work and go, wait a minute, can I make room for this? And I like, that's, that's huge. So I I think I I do have to give a lot of credit to the accidental exorcism for this one. And and I'll, I'll explain briefly. Uh, A year later, I was in Vancouver for a couple shows. Uh, One of my coworkers at the consulting company, he composed chamber music. So I was going to see a a chamber music show. I think George Norrie was in town. So I was going to see a George Norrie's engagement. And then I think Black Label Society was also playing. So it was just sort of this real... You know, variety of stuff across four days. And on my off day, I was renting a room in a house on an early version of Airbnb. You know, it was, I think it was called, it was something else. It wasn't that, but something like that. And it was a Sunday evening. I was reading, uh, was it John Giger's, I think it's Giger, The Third Man Factor. And so I grabbed my book and I I went outside uh, and it was about maybe six o'clock. The sun was still out. And as I was leaving the room to go get a coffee, I heard someone say, hello there. And I I turned and looked and there was an elderly indigenous man. He was wearing, if I remember, sort of like a beat up tracksuit. He had a gray gym bag over one shoulder. He had a cane in his right hand. It was wooden with uh, orange electrical tape tape, wound around the bottom. I said, hey, how's it going? And he said, oh, I, or pardon me. I said, hey hey there. He said, how are you? I said, I'm good, thanks. How are you? And he said, well, I, I could use a coffee as I go along here in my travels. But other than that, I'm fine. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. I said, I'm headed that direction anyways. Walk with me. I'll buy you a coffee. And so he fell in with me and he he introduced himself. He asked my name. 
And then he asked if he want, if I wanted to know my, to know his spirit name. I said, yes, I did. And he, he told me and he said, would you like to know if, if you have one? I said, sure. And he said, well, when we get to the coffee shop, I'll ask. He said, not everyone has one. So got to the coffee shop and now I, I've bought coffee for homeless guys before. Right. So I assumed it was going to be, you know, I, the usual pattern. Can I have a coffee? Sure. Can I have sure. something sweet? Yeah. Okay, sure. Can I have a pack of smokes? No, you know, I can't afford this. Good day. Yeah. But no, he said, yeah. I'll have whatever you're having, you know, two cream, one sugar or whatever. Uh, I'll get us a table. So sat down and, and that marked the beginning of one of the strangest conversations of my life. And, you know, I, he, you know, he, he told me I, I did indeed have a spirit name. And so after a while I thought, you know, I'm going to ask him about what happened that night or in those two, pardon me, those two days. So I told him what I just told you guys. And he, he looked concerned and he said, well, I, I don't know why you're having these dreams. And I said, well, they weren't dreams. I was awake. And he goes, no, no, it's best if we call them dreams, safer. I went, mm -hmm. okay, interesting. And so he reached into his bag and he pulled out uh, a plastic, a translucent purple plastic recorder, you know, the one that kids play. And he blew yeah. the same note about maybe 10, 15 times, something like that. And he looked around, shook his head, put it in the bag. Then he pulled out a, um, a maraca. It was gray plastic. And I remember it had Olmeca tequila on the side in faded red lettering. And the joke I always make is, you know, if this was like a, a suburban white guy shaman, that thing would be hand carved in four grand. Um, and he just shook it a few times and he did this sort of sing songy thing and he kind of nodded and he said something about a doctor and he got up and walked away and I thought, oh, okay, are, are we done? But he came back and he had something in his hand, it was something green. And before I could really get a fix on it, he shoved it in my mouth. It was some kind of plant. And I thought, okay. And he said, chew that and swallow it down. And yes. Oh dear. No, thank you. Well, that's... <laughs> That's, That's it, right? And it, but it was at this point I realized I can do one of two things. I can either go, Puh, no thank you, we're done here, old man. Or I can chew the stuff and see what happens. And in what was an uncharacteristic move for me at the time, I chewed the stuff. And I swallowed it and he said, you know, is, is that all of it? And I nodded. He goes, okay. So he puts them in his mouth, he chews it, and he puts his hands on either side of my head, pulls my head forward and goes on the top of my head. And I actually th thought at the time, I thought, oh God, did he just spit that stuff on my head? And, oh, and thankfully he didn't. <laughs> now bear in mind, all this is happening in front of a busy Starbucks on Davie Street at about this point, about seven o'clock on a yeah. Sunday evening. So there are lots of people around. This is a very pub. And wondering yes. what's going on at yes, this Yes, this is a very public spectacle. <laughs> Davie and Thurlow, you know, for those of you who know the area. And uh, so yeah. he leans me forward and he goes, again, on the back of my neck, leans me forward still and does the same thing all the way down my spine, sits me back up. And says, okay, it's done. And he sits down. And I said, what's done? And he said, oh, just give it a minute. You'll see. And over the next few minutes, I started to feel strange. Best way I can describe it is it was like the time, uh, the very first time, you know, your, my very first experiment with uh, cannabis brownies, when you, you do that thing where you think, well, it's not working. I'm going to have some more. And then all of a sudden your hands stop working. Yeah. Yes. Uh -oh. And it felt like. My hands didn't belong to me. It felt like they, they moved, but only because I suggested it, not because they were mine. And I started freaking out. And it was almost like, the, like this guy knew that because he, he just said, calm down. It's okay. Just let it happen. So I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there. I'm thinking, did he poison me? I said, you poisoned me. And he said, no, I didn't poison you. You're fine. I said, I'm going to pass out. He said, you're not going to pass out. I said, I feel like if I try to stand up, I'll fall over. He said, no, you won't stand up. So I did. And I was, I was solid. 
So I sat back down and over time, the feeling passed. It was maybe a few, a few minutes, I think. It wasn't very long. And he said, how do you feel? I said, I, I, think it's, I think it's done. And he said, okay. He said, good. And I said, well, what was that? And he said, you had the wrong spirit in you. So what you felt was, I, and I removed it, and what you felt was the new spirit, the correct spirit, settling in. And he said, did you ever wonder why your belly swells? And I, I used to be much heavier than I am now. And uh, I said, well, I assume because I, you know, I eat too much. And he kind of gave me a look. He said, well, yes, but also you have the wrong spirit in you. That happens when you have the wrong spirit. He said, now your belly will shrink. He said, also, your life is going to change. And he said, I'm sorry, I couldn't give you a choice in that. Uh, I couldn't. This had to be done. He said, it's not going to be bad change, but you will be different. And again, I'm sorry you didn't have a choice, but this is the way it had to be. And I said, oh, okay. And he said, you're all right? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. And he said, okay, well, I'm going to go get a drink because he, he had admitted to me that he was an alcoholic. And uh, he got up and started to walk away. And I said, oh, well, thanks. And he pointed at the coffee. He said, well, you gave me a gift. This is my gift to you. And then he just walked off. And so immediately I texted my wife. I told her what had happened. And even then she was used to this kind of, well, not maybe this kind of weirdness, but weirdness for me. So she said, well, you feel okay? And I said, yeah. She said, okay, well, you're chalking up to experience. So I went back to the room. I was reading my book. A couple hours later, I thought, man, I'm hungry. Uh, I bet that's, that's why I felt so weird. It must be because I'm hungry. So I went outside. Uh, back then, Vera's Burger Shack used to be really good. So I started walking down to Vera's and I'm sorry, I walk out the front door and a car passes near me, not, or I should say a car passes, not near me, not going fast or anything, but it terrified me. And all of a sudden I became aware of the fact that the world seemed much brighter and much louder than it ever had before. And the lights wow, seemed really, really bright. You know, I, I, I crossed the street, I managed to get my anxiety under control Cross the street, and I looked up Davy towards uh, I think it's Sandman Suites, and it's got this big green mm -hmm. sign on the side of the building, and something about that sign hanging there that high up in the sky scared the hell out of me. And even though I've seen that place, you know, a thousand times, I've stayed, I'd stayed there, and I managed to get get it under control, walk to the burger joint, order my food, burger, drink, and when it came, and, and I know how ridiculous it sounds, when it came. I didn't know what to do with it. I mean, I knew uh, intellectually that's a hamburger. You know, you've, you've eaten many of these things, mm -hmm. yeah. but right? I didn't know what to do with it. So slowly, you know, I unwrapped it and I picked off a piece and I ate it. And I, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Food. Good. Ate about, ha ate about half the burger and I drank the soda and I remember thinking, oh, sweet. Oh. So I had about half that and that was it. I, I started walking back to my room and I smelled along the way. I smelled the plant that he had put in my mouth. So I, I went hunting for it, found it. I managed to identify it. I believe it was juniper. Okay. Yep. Okay. And so when I got home, I, I looked around on, on the net and what I managed to, to ascertain was that I had gone through a very stripped down version of a cleansing ceremony. Yeah. Cause juniper is usually used for healing in first nations traditions. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So that's, yeah, I ate juniper and and ever since then, uh, you know, that sort of, that was kind of the thing that drove it home that, you know, my life was different. And I mean, I have a fear of heights now that I didn't before. I don't know if that's down to this or just, you know, getting older and you're a lot more aware of mortality. But yeah, I, 
I went to the Grand Canyon in 2010, did the Skywalk with no problem. The later this year, I went back and I, I couldn't get anywhere near the thing. Twenty third, yeah. three years later, yeah, couldn't get anywhere near it. And now, if I'm at a stadium or something, I can't look up. If I look up and if I if I become suddenly I become aware of how high up everything else is, it's it's very annoying. But yeah, so that's all those things combined just kind of force me to examine the world and go, okay, I don't know as much as I thought I did. Yeah, what an experience, though. <laughs> I mean, just the the whole combination of things. I mean, it's no wonder that you've. You know, you really had to you take take score of of, of where you were. Yeah. It's so interesting, uh, but you know when you started when you started this book was as you were writing down these stories and you're you know going through all of these. Uh, I mean, there's some amazing encounters in this in this book. Uh, was part of this looking for a little bit more answers? Maybe answers is the wrong question or phrase, but um, was a part of you kind of exploring this a little bit further on a personal level? Yeah, I, I think it was, I think it was a culmination of something that happened to me a few years earlier, back when I was still living there. Because Revelstoke's a small town, right? 7,000 people, 7,500 people, not a lot going on. I'd lived there all my life. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was hitchhiking uh, at one point and one of my rides bringing me back to town, they dropped me off at the wrong entrance. They, they dropped me off what's called the Eastern Access, or sorry, about halfway to the Eastern Access, which is, is sort of a more rural highway entrance into town. And so I was walking, I, I remember prior to this, I had said, you know, I just wish I could see Revelstoke in a different light because I felt like I'd seen everything about the place and I could, I knew everything about the place. And then to say this ride dropped me off and I was walking, I was walking along the highway to get to the, the uh, road, which goes down into, into town. And I remember I, I passed this, this half a deer, which was upsetting. Uh, always wondered where the other half was. Yeah. But as I started making my way down the hill, I got to the bridge over the train tracks and it occurred to me as I looked over the rail yard while the sun was setting, I'd never seen the city from that, from that angle. And I realized I got my wish, you know, I got to see the town in a way I never had before. And I think in a lot of ways, I think writing strange was my final way to do that, was my way to step back from Revelstoke and look at it and examine it in a way I never had before. And I mean, 95% of what's in the book was, it's not part of local lore. We'll put it that way. You know, I mean, Holton House is part of mm -hmm. local lore. Everyone knows that. It's this, you know, grand Queen Anne style house at the top end of town, but most everything else was not very well known. And I think that was part of it for me was, you know, when I was a kid, I, and even now I have these dreams about finding, finding uh, new, new places inside familiar places. And I think this was my way of doing that. So tell, tell the audience a, a little bit about Revelstoke. Cause like we were saying at the beginning, <laughs> majority of the listeners may have no idea where, or what this is. Um, tell, tell everybody a little bit about Revelstoke and what made it stand out for you? What was what was it about this place that made you say this is where the book's got to be, be predominantly situated? Sure. So Revelstoke is a small town in Western Canada. It's on Highway 1, which runs West Coast, East Coast, if you don't know Canada. It is isolated. I would say it is, it's in the province of BC. It is roughly 45 minutes away from the nearest town to the west, and it is roughly 90 minutes away from the nearest town to the east. The roads north and south dead end in the north, pardon me, the road north dead ends in a hydroelectric dam. 
After about three hours, the road south dead ends in a lake. And it's my hometown. It's a mill town and a, and a CP rail town, although less rail as the years have gone on. And it is very much a, a blue collar town. Uh, I was born there in 1983 and it is much more gentrified now than it ever was growing up. Again, growing up, it was a pretty rough place. There used to be a bar called the King Eddie where you had to check your knife in a bucket <laughs> before you went in. Wow. <laughs> yeah. The, the, Hell's, the Hells Angels used to own a lot of property around there. Uh, it, was, it was a rough place. And that, of course, that's changed over the years. But that's that's where I grew up. And you're surrounded on all sides by mountains. We are at about 1,500 feet, uh, the town itself, but the mountains around us are about 9,000. So you're looking at 7,500 feet of, of vertical drop, which makes our ski hill very popular. The ski hill is known around the world. Although I'm not much of a skier myself, people come from all over to, to ski there. And especially in the recent years, that's really taken over. The ski hill was expanded. And so many, many more people come. Property prices have, of course, gone to hell, but that's another conversation entirely. And I set the book there because, because I grew up there, because, you know, I had these experiences and originally it just started as a family history project. You know, my mother and her siblings used to tell stories around the table when everyone got together and, uh, cause the house they grew up in was haunted, which is a chapter called, I believe it's called, uh, the road to house right. yep. in the book. And so when mm-hmm. I started, uh, and so I just thought, you know, I want to collect these. And then as time went on, I thought, oh, maybe there's more. And there were, and, um, yeah, I thought, okay, let's, let's see if I can make this a book. And then once the book was complete, I thought, let's see if someone wants to buy this thing. And, uh, and it went from there. And as it turns out, Revelstoke is a real hotbed of, of high strangeness going back quite a long time. I found newspaper accounts of UFO activity from the fifties. I had uh, a lot of personal interviews with people who had experiences again, going back as far, I think it's it's the thirties. And there was a lot more I wasn't able to develop. You know, there's a chapter at the end called Whispers, which is just little snippets of information that I was able to get from people, but not develop further. Yeah. You've got all kinds uh-huh. of cases in here. Yeah. I mean, everything from like UFOs, there's Bigfoot's hauntings, right down to a Revelstoke Iceman. Like you've covered a lot. Yeah. And, and in the second edition, which uh, I, I, there's no audiobook for that one yet. I've got to get to, I've got to get that done, but the second edition, there was there was more, and I'd had more of my own personal experiences yeah. by that point. Uh, and I was also more comfortable talking mm-hmm. about them. Because sure. when I began the book, I was, as I mentioned, I was working for a consulting company. This was not my world. And so I was very, uh, in fact, I cringed a little bit, Mike, when you said you're listening to the original book, because it's so much more mannered and stiff than, than the new one. Because again, yeah. I, I was trying to be objective. I was trying to say, look, I'm I'm not crazy. I just found these stories and this is what this person said. Yes. Oh, so cool. I'm, I'm into it. I'm, <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. We're, we're our own worst critics. I mean, I, I have to listen to my own voice every week, <laughs> numerous times. And I think, oh my God, somebody shut this guy up. I know that feeling. It's a great voice, by the way. Oh, thanks. You talk about your hometown. I'm from a small uh, area uh, in Nova Scotia. I grew up in Bridgewater, which nobody's heard of. Everybody's heard of the towns around it, like Lunenburg and Mahone Bay, but uh, I grew up in Bridgewater. And as I was listening to your book, I'm thinking, I wonder if there's stories like this in my hometown, you know? Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. And it, 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 and that's that's what I'm getting from your book is like, if you dig a little deeper, 
into wherever you live, you're probably going to uncover some really weird stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's a little bit of that Twin Peaks effect, you know, or the Blue Velvet thing where you dig down far enough and, and there's weirdness. I mean, I, I think Revelstoke is unique in some ways. I think its position uh, on the river valley, I think it has something mm-hmm. to do with that. Um, I, I talked about that a little more in the second edition because I, I had an experience which was very, very strange. And uh, honestly, there's some things that happened, which I, I talked about in Mysteries and Monsters, uh, which are not in the book. But again, sort of, yeah, very, very strange things, which I think are location specific. Can you give us an example? So I'm trying to remember. Uh, so, so what happened for me is in, I think it was even before I started the podcast, I went back to Revelstoke. I was visiting a friend of mine and our thing was, because you know, there's not much to do, we would just drive around and, and catch up. So we're, and to, to drive around in Revelstoke at the time, if you're going south of town, you, uh, the road used to go down to the, the Arrow Lakes community. So Beaton, Burton, things like this, uh, Arrow, Arrowhead, Sidmouth. But when the U.S. started pressuring Canada to dam the Columbia River in the 60s, this area was flooded. So a lot of the homesteads were, a lot of the homes were moved. The rest of them were just flooded. So the road, uh, the road on the east side of the river, eventually you hit what's called Greenslide, which is Greenslide Road. And it used to be that point on, it was unpaved. Beyond that, uh, it's a dirt road and it eventually dead ends in, uh, dead ends in, in what's called 12 mile, which used to be a ferry, to, uh, a cable ferry that went across the river and then you would continue on and take another cable ferry. Uh, nowadays, there's just a set of concrete steps, which are pretty weather beaten, but, but still there. That is the only thing left to mark the ferry and that's more or less where the road ends. So usually I would never at night go past Greenslide because it's dark as hell down there and past Greenslide again, it's not paved and my Toyota Corolla is not an off-road vehicle. However, one night we were driving and it was so clear. We got to Greenslide. It was brighter than I'd ever seen it. And so I thought, well, screw it. Let's keep going. And we kept going and we got all the way down to 12 mile and it was so bright. It was beautiful. The, the whole valley. And this, this was 10, 30, 11 at night, you know, this is, but it was just so clear. And so we're, we're just taking it in. Neither of us had ever seen it that bright. And I felt something shift. I can't describe it better than that. But shortly after that feeling, that's when I saw the darkness and it was like, it was filling up the valley like water, like, like the, sh- like the shadows were returning and it started coming towards us. And I, my friend didn't, she's not this way inclined, which I mentioned in the second edition, but I said, Oh, time to go. So we got in the car, turned around and it, it overtook us just this, this, the darkness, the returning darkness just overtook us. And I, I even, again, my friend doesn't remember this, but she looked at me and she said, well, that's weird. And, uh, I just got us the hell out of there, got back to the paved road and, kept going. But when I turned to look, the, it was as dark as it usually is. And it was almost like something was gone and come so back. Strange. What do you think it was? Do you have any, any theories? Well, you know, I was, and I mentioned this in, in the new version of Strange. A couple of years ago, I was reading the book Other Worlds by, I think it's by Derek Luke is the author's name. 
And it's about his experiences with various antheogens. Uh, and he talks about this one particular experience, which put him off DMT for 14 years. He had been, uh, he had smoked DMT more than, I want to say like 60, 60 times by this point. But then, yeah, he, he very experienced with DMT. And then he was on the banks of the Ganges River near the border with Tibet and he smoked it. And he went further than he ever had. And he remembers seeing this, this, there was a, it was a border and beyond the border was something, was a place that was incomprehensible to him. He, he couldn't quite get a fix on what he was looking at. And as he was trying to make sense of whatever it was he was seeing, he became aware of this entity between it and him. And it was almost like this entity had become aware of him. And it was what appeared to be a many limbed serpent with eyes on each limb. And it began to undulate like it was trying to distract him from, from trying to get his head around whatever he was seeing beyond it. And he said it was a, it was a fearsome experience and, uh, he was, he was really quite afraid of this thing. And then he, he was back in his, you know, he was, he was gone. The trip was over and he was so shaken by this. Again, he didn't do DMT for, I think it was 14 years, 10 plus years. And he was doing some research years later when he came across this reference in Tibetan lore to an entity called Za, G-Z-A, said to be a many-limbed thing which lives in river valleys and guards the void or the, the, guards the, 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 the gate between worlds. Wow. And I, I, and I poked around a little bit and this is, yeah, this is a, this is a belief. And, and so my kooky, my kooky thought on this is that because Revelstoke is the, it sits at, at the confluence of the Illisiluit Columbia in a complu and I think even fish river. I think this, there is some, if we are to believe these things exist, then I think this is home to something very, very powerful. And, and if we want to believe it, that it, these, these creatures exist, which guard the, the, the gates between worlds, I think then maybe that's what one of them is. That's so interesting that you say that because the, and, and talk about the, the river valleys this way, because Edmonton situated on a river valley as well. And People ask me, well, what's the most haunted place in Edmonton? The River Valley. Like, it's phenomenal. I mean, we've, my group, my team here and I, we've been down there. We spent a good, oh, probably 10, almost 15 years down there documenting phenomena that was so oh, strange. Wow. And it was unlike anywhere else we'd ever been. Everything from these very strange lights to um, these these very dark, almost two-dimensional figures that, that we would see. But we always got the distinct feeling that it was so much older than anything mm. that had happened there since people. And we couldn't explain it, still can't explain it to this day. I mean, I don't, I don't even think we're any closer to <laughs> answers with it. But interestingly right. enough, there's because that started over the years, I've, I've sort of kept my ears open for stories about river valleys and, and stuff like that. And I've heard such similar things over and over again where, and, and some people attribute it to, well, that there's water flow or, you know, everybody's got a theory, but it's interesting that, you know, you're saying very, very much the same thing or similar things that I've heard over the years about various river valleys. And there's, so there's, there's something to that. I mean, people are experiencing something. 
Yeah, and if if you well, I, I this is something I can't talk about on air. But remind me after we're done recording, and I'll tell you something else that I think you might sure. find you might find interesting. But I, I will say that I know I found because uh, I'm fascinated by missing people, and yeah, I it just yeah, missing four one one. It's uh, yeah, that's that's a whole yeah. That, I won't start. I won't get too deeply into that because I could I could talk about that whole thing in a very strange experience I had, but. Um, I, at one point I decided to catalog the missing people in and around Revelstoke since 2000. And what I found was interesting is in 2017, six men went missing in the Columbia river Valley. Now it's a big area, uh, but it's very rural. It's not massively populated. And three of those six men were found in water. Uh, one of them was missing for a few weeks and they found his, if I'm not mistaken, they found his backpack. Then they found his car and then they found him and they said, oh, he must've, he must've, you know, slipped into the river and fell, but where he would have gone into the river is not, it's a gradual slope. It's unlikely that he would have just, you know, it's not a, it's not a sheer sure. drop. And there were two men who were camping near, I think it's near Beaton. These men were not known to each other. They went missing at the same time, within days of each other. One of them was eventually found. Well, his truck was found. It's almost like he just drove into the into the into the river. They don't know why. He was eventually found in the lake. The second one was mm-hmm. found months later, also floating in the lake. One of them was a school teacher from I think Nelson, and uh, he had gone out to to scout out a place for a school field trip, and had to come back. And they eventually found him in the creek. Uh, they don't. They don't know how he went in. They assume maybe he got caught in spring runoff, but they don't know for sure. And all the, the six of this happened within five months. And it, it's 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 an it's an unusual place, and it's the kind of place where I I started feeling like maybe I shouldn't be there by myself. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, oh, I I get that totally. And there's uh. a there's a feeling that comes with that too. I, I know uh, there's there's a number of places here in Alberta that and because I mean we're full of like small towns and ghost towns and and everything and um, it's yeah there's a there's a definite feeling that comes with a lot of these places where you you know instinctually that something is different. Yeah, yeah. A great example of that is I, I years ago, and this ties into the 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 serpent thing. Years ago, I was in um, Bunkrana, Ireland. And I was, I was staying in Derry and I wanted to go check out Bunkrana because it was meant to be a really cool beach town. It was December, but you know, still. So I, I hopped the bus, ended up missing my stop completely, had to hitchhike into Bunkrana. I went and got some coffee and then I went to the beach and it, the sun was starting to set. Everything was this beautiful golden color, but there was no one around. I'm at the, at the shore of the loch, Loch Swilly, I think it's called. And all of a sudden I noticed this black dog there. Hmm. And it's, it looks like a lab or something. It's just sitting there. I, I didn't see where it come from, but it's just sitting there. And wherever I walked, this thing followed me, stayed a distance away, but it followed me. And I tried to get closer to it, tried to pet it. It would growl at me and snarl at me. So I thought, oh, okay, we're not doing this. Um, but eventually I started to get really weirded out because there was no one around. It, it was, it was so quiet. And again, everything was just kind of golden color. And so I, I, I got a little bit nervous. So I, I saw what looked like a hotel up on a hill. I started walking towards it. Uh, get up there and it's boarded up. It's boarded up completely. And I thought, oh Christ, okay. And I, that's when I realized the dog was gone. I didn't see it leave. It was just gone. 
and I really started to get kind of wigged out. So I, I went down the hill and there was a, a concrete boat ramp. So I'm standing on this boat ramp and I'm looking across the water and I can see there's this massive, massive fog bank coming in. I, and I have a picture of it. And I thought, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. And as I'm saying this, I noticed there's cats all around my, all around my feet. I assume they've been living in around the rocks or something, but it just added to the sense of unreality. So I started walking back towards town so I can hitch a ride. And all of a sudden, boom, people surrounded by people. It's, I can hear traffic and car, you know, people. Okay. Well, that was strange. Uh, end up catching a ride, going back to my hostel in Derry. But years later, when I was working on episode 27 of the ghost story guys, I was Googling around and I found that there is a story from Loch Swilly. And that story is that because, you know, the Catholics would come in and say, oh, our saint came in and kicked everyone's ass. So you should worship right. our saint now instead of your guys. And there's a story of St. Columkilla, I believe that's how it's pronounced, uh, taming a many-eyed serpent that lived in the loch. Oh, that's strange, eh? Yeah. Uh, and it, it just had that same sense of don't be here right now. Yeah, that's, it's, it's so, that, yeah. that's so un unnerving. Like I can't, uh, yeah, I can't even imagine how you're feeling. I know being out, being out in the, in the woods, I, 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 drag Mike out into our woods here in Alberta back in November. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know whether you'll come yeah. back or not this spring. <laughs> but, not for a um, while. It's, it's, it's interesting with, with some of these places that have this, this deep history. And I like, I know here we've got some very sort of odd, also sometimes tumultuous history that, that goes on. Is it does, does Revelstoke sit on, on land with an odd history as well, or does this seem to just be coming from somewhere you you don't understand? Well, Revelstoke, um, it's one of those things where that's a little harder to nail down. I mean, Revelstoke was, uh, you know, kind of a woolly place back in yeah. the day. Uh, there's stories of, of murders, you know, there's, um, in, I want to say the early part of the, I mean, like 1900s, maybe mm -hmm. 1909, 1909, there was a, a, a Japanese woman, I think Jenny Kiyahara was her name, and she was, uh, she went to buy a brothel from someone and, uh, she bought it and then the yeah. guy killed her, took his money back and nothing ever happened. And uh, there are other things like that. Uh, but as, as far as the land, I mean, we were always taught in school, there was never any indigenous population in Revelstoke, which of course is not true. That, but that's what we were taught. But the truth of it is that the Sinex people lived in that valley, but they never, they, they would just move up and down the valley. So that was, that was it for as, as far as mm -hmm. settlement. I know north of town, there's something they call the Dal de Mor, uh, which I, I think is basically the Death Rapids. And it's, uh, it's not as bad now since they dammed it, but it was a series of very, very dangerous rapids. And there's a, a story, which I mentioned in the book where these, uh, fur traders, they were, they were wrecked in the rapids. And when they got back to land, they, they didn't have much and they started slowly trudging towards civilization and it, it's suspected that they killed and ate each other until one of them was left. And, you know, he made it back to Revelstoke or wherever yeah. it was with a, with a belly full. But so, yeah, it, again, it, it has a rough history and up until recently it has been, it has been, a, I would say, a, a rougher place. Yeah, that makes sense. The one chapter that caught, really caught my attention, which I had to ask you about as soon as, soon as I read it, sure. was... Your gremlins and shadow people chapter, 
And I thought this was so oh, yeah. cool because it, it, usually, of course, you, I mean, Gremlins, everybody knows. I mean, it goes, goes right back into, into folklore and stuff like that. And I think when people think about small towns, you know, we, we automatically go to, okay, well, there's, you know, haunted buildings and, you know, things like that. But this is so interesting because, I, like, I, I'm a huge fan of, of cryptids and weird creatures and stuff like that. So right. talk about these gremlins because this is so strange and just so out of place. Yeah. So I, I talked to a number of people who had these experiences with, with what are essentially tiny shadow creatures who cause electrical problems. And it, it, the first story was a, a woman who gave me a lot of information for the book. Again, someone I, I trust. And it started when they went to meet her husband's birth mother. You know, he had been adopted and they finally found his yeah. birth mother. Mm-hmm. And she had all these electrical problems and she would say, oh, it's it's the gremlins. And they kind of, you know, ho, 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 as, as people do. But when she passed and they went to deal with her affairs, they found that on the way home, their truck stopped. They were having problems with their truck and, and her husband joked, oh, we must have got mom's gremlins, which would be funny if not for the fact that the problems <laughs> her, his mother had been having. <laughs> Yeah, started manifesting in their house. Yeah, <laughs> just oh, just small no. stuff, you know, little electrical problems and things like this. But they they didn't know what to do until they happened to be speaking to someone, or the, I should say the wife happened to be speaking to someone who said, "Oh, yeah, you got gremlins." And I, I believe the person may have been Irish, if my memory if my memory yeah. holds. And they said, "Oh, yeah, that's gremlins. Just put some milk out, and you know, they'll put some milk out by the door in a, in a saucer, and, and they'll bugger off." And so she did and she thought, okay, well, I'm going to feel, I'm going to be real popular with the neighborhood cats, but this is not going to solve anything. And in actual fact, it, it did that the problems stopped and this has happened several times. In fact, there's a, again, I can't remember if I specifically name check the place. I mean, by this point, who cares, but there's an old, there's a retirement home in Revelstoke where I, I know someone who worked there and she said, yeah, if, if I'm not working and I don't leave a saucer out. If it's someone else, there are so they have so many more issues than when I'm working. Isn't that funny? I mean, and mm. yeah, what what can you even chalk that up to other than maybe people manifesting their own story? I don't like. I don't know. I, Mike, what do you think about that? Or just gremlins? <laughs> just straight up gremlins. Oh gosh. And I know in the new edition, I, I have a story from a friend of mine again, someone I trust very much who was hiking at Begbie Falls, which is south of town. And he, him and his partner both spotted these tiny little shadow things darting in and out of the, uh, in and out of the grass at the other side of the road. So, so it's, yeah, you know, it's, it's not just in homes. It's also, it's also out in the wild. And it, it, I mean, the south road is very strange, but that is the only account of gremlins I found there. But yeah, again, it goes to show it's not just homes. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of everywhere. And I mean, I've seen that in my apartment in Victoria. I've seen, you know, tiny little shadow people. And, uh, I mean, thankfully we haven't had much in the way, in the way of trouble. Although I will say something I learned doing the show and this was, this was a hard lesson is I am, I, I learned to not be so flip when I talk about the good folk. Because on episode 27, the one I mentioned, I was very flip. I was in fact very stupid and disrespectful. And every time I've done that on that particular subject, we have had terrible problems. My, my voice will give out or the technology won't cooperate or there'll be problems with the file when we up, it's, it, it never fails. And I learned the hard way to be respectful. 
That's so interesting. I've, I've got a, a colleague here um, and she has, she and her husband have both seen, and it's what they call the gnome uh, in their upstairs. Oh. Yeah. And it's, this story makes me think of that, but this, this seems to be almost more like a, like a gnome uh, because they've reported seeing even like right down to the hat, um, this short creature that runs usually between their spare bedroom and or one of their spare bedrooms and the bathroom of their house and to the point where oh. they will come out and nearly trip over this thing as it's running from one bedroom. And apparently it's completely ugly. I've never seen it. I've been there a, a number of times and I've seen most of the phenomenon there, but I've not seen Mr. Gnome. Uh, but yeah, he's it's so strange, like to the point where if they see him, they 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 won't use the upstairs bathroom because it's so it's so oh, yeah wow. it's so creepy. But see, Mike, this is what I didn't tell you about about Terry Lynn's place before you before you got there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was enough creepy stuff outside. I, I didn't need to know about creepy things inside too. It's so interesting, and and the, but these these sort of. These these different creatures, whether it be you know these gnomes or these these gremlins or whatever, I mean there there's something to this because I mean I, I'm a big believer that folklore comes from somewhere, and sure. you know and yeah, I hear these stories and it just I don't know it just makes me makes my mind expand even more every single. We had uh, where we live in Victoria. There was recently we're surrounded by construction, which before I came to Montreal was awesome because you know having a job where you need silence to record makes neighboring construction even better than it ordinarily would be. Uh, The place across the street from us was demolished. And both my wife and I started noticing after that happened, what we we started calling them the peaker. And we would both feel at different points, we we came to this independently, that it it felt like there was someone looking at us from the hallway. Mm. And then I I, I have this thing where when I'm I'm back home, I I pass out on the couch first. Uh, It's just, I, I think this is a dude thing. But I'll pass out on the couch for an hour, wake up, then I'll go to bed. And one night I I woke up or I fell asleep on the couch and where I was situated, I could see the front, you know, if I was awake, I would see the front door. And in the dream I was having, I could see a front door. It wasn't my front door, but it was a front door. And I started seeing this, these little figures, tiny little figures in front of the door. And I remember thinking, oh, in the dream, oh, geez, I mean, I shouldn't be able to see something like this, this clearly. It felt like I was seeing something I shouldn't. And I saw these little figures playing a game where they threw bones. Oh. Yeah. Some kind of game where they like a, like an, almost like a okay. dice game, like a, like a, an old, old dice game kind of thing, but they were throwing, throwing bones. And I remember watching this and then I made some kind of noise as I shifted and one of them looked at, looked at me. And I don't remember what it looked like. I just remember the voice, but it was this tiny little high-pitched voice that said in a very arch fashion, go to bed. And I woke up. And when I woke up, I was staring exactly the same direction. Again, I was looking at my door, not the door in the dream, but I never forgot that. And uh, I I think it was a couple of weeks later, I had this, another dream. And I, I was, I distinctly remember being in a building and seeing a grandfather clock with the word Nokdreenmas carved into it. It's odd. And yeah, because I, I mean, I speak, I speak a little German. I don't speak that much German. And I, I Googled it and it was something like, like bone turning mass. Oh, weird. That's unnerving. Yeah. <laughs> Very. Yes. 
Oh, that's so. Oh, that's so interesting. We well, we could be here for hours. I talked to you forever. This is so <laughs> it's so interesting. All of this, um, but we've we've already kept you for a long time, and we we can't I can't even explain how much we appreciate it because all your stories are just so so fascinating. Where can people get the book? Where can people hear Ghost Story Guys? Uh, give us give 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 us the 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 rundown. All right, so the book is A Strange Little Place, The Paranormal Secrets of Revelstoke, B.C. The reissue is available on Amazon. It's from Beyond the Fray Publishing. And I'm hoping to get the audio version of that out ASAP. You can find The Ghost Story Guys everywhere fine podcasts live. We publish oh, basically once a week, main show or main show every two weeks. And then in the in-between weeks, we have what we call Book of the Dead, which is just three ghost stories, no chatter. Of course, I host Ghost Story Guys with the uh, fabulous Paul Bestel of Mysteries and Monsters. And I also host the show Weird Together, which is a show about independent horror films because I'm a sucker for independent horror films. You can find that also everywhere fine podcasts live. Love them. And everything else, yeah, ghoststoryguys.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Largely the Truth if you want to find me there. And I, I think that's it. Well, this was awesome. Thank you, Brennan. <laughs> this is fantastic. We'll, we'll be calling you back, you know. I look forward to it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Here's Morgan for this episode's segment of Spiritual Healthcare. In this episode's edition of Spiritual Healthcare, the segment of the show where you get to be the creator and designer of your paranormal and spiritual experience, we're going to tell you about a process called the giving up process. One of the most powerful things you can do is to give up. Seems like a counterintuitive piece of advice, doesn't it? How can giving up serve anything or any goal if we live in such an action-oriented society? However, in parapsychology, one of the actions we learn to take as researchers is to give up the struggle, because the struggle of striving for something and not getting it, and then getting frustrated, and then trying again, tends to emphasize only one thing in our attention, the fact that we don't have it yet. We know that our attention is everything. It drives the car, so to speak. What we put our attention on ultimately gives us results. However, too much attention on the struggle and the not having gives us results too. The same results again and again of something missing from our experience. So giving up doesn't mean giving up on hope. It simply means letting it go. Get yourself out of the way of things happening. Put your attention on something else that brings you joy. Go pat your cat. Go paint. Go ride your horse. Leave it alone for a little while and find your best place of allowing so that consciousness can come together on your behalf without your own sense of struggle messing up the flow of the well-being coming to you, which it can so readily. Give up for a day. See what happens. You need nothing to be happy, but you need something to be sad. Remember, at the end of seeking, all is consciousness. Stay in peace, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Supernatural Circumstances, a co-production of Entity Seeker Paranormal Research and Teachings and Good Egg Studios. This podcast is part of the Curious Cast podcast network. Theme music by Corey Johnson of Catalyst Records in Edmonton, Alberta. You can find out more about Morgan Knudsen at entityseeker.ca and more about me and listen to my other show at darkpoutine.com. 
feel free to email the show at supernaturalcircumstances at gmail.com. Good night for now. Her name is Elspeth. Elspeth Tassioni. You know her as the offbeat but brilliant defense attorney from The Good Wife and The Good Fight. You've been a very busy little bee. Buzz, buzz. Now, she's in New York with the NYPD. This is very different. Better. But still using her unconventional ways to find the truth. You're trying to sniff me, Miss Tassioni? <laughs> Elspeth, new series Thursdays on Global. Stream on Stack TV.